Is it possible to divorce proof your marriage, especially a marriage to a pilot as a pilot wife? We're going to hear from someone who believes that is possible on today's show. Welcome to the Pilot Wife Podcast, your ongoing checklist for navigating your best life as a pilot wife and aviation family. I'm your co-captain, Jackie Elmer. I've been a pilot wife for over three decades and can't imagine any other lifestyle. On the show, you'll hear stories, experiences, tips, advice, interviews with other pilot wives, pilots, aviation professionals, non-revving and travel experts also on this journey. Yes, it's a mixed bag of goods, but what life isn't? I'm here to bring you the best that the aviation life has to offer. If you have a topic suggestion, a story to share on the show, details are at the end. And if you want the Pilot Wife Survival Guide and Checklist, go to pilotwifechecklist.com. Now, stow your baggage, strap in, and let's unpack the Pilot Wife life. So welcome to today's show. As I mentioned, we are going to talk today about divorce-proofing your marriage. And joining me, I have Cameron Thompson, Al Uriki. Hopefully I'm saying that correctly. I've been practicing it. And Cameron is a pilot wife. She's a boy mom and a certified relationship coach. She is passionate about helping couples learn tools and develop habits to divorce-proof their marriage. So Cameron... Thank you for joining me and welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. Awesome. So tell me some of the standard stuff um, as a pilot wife. Tell me just some of the basics. Give me a little bit of information about you. Let our audience get to know who you are, a little bit of your background, um, how you met your pilot, and then we'll kind of get into some of the juicy meat and potatoes of the topic. Yeah. So I am uh, originally from Kansas and we now live in Houston because um, that is where my husband is based. Mo and I met about seven, we met seven years ago and yesterday we celebrated our fifth wedding anniversary. And so um, we've been married five years and I actually had a son uh, with my previous marriage. And so uh, when Mo and I got together, he we had to navigate the whole blending of family. And so that's a lot of what I coach on too. And um, we've now added a, another little boy. Zane is one. And um, so Mo and I actually met, we were both living in Dallas. He was finishing up his pilot's license. Um, I did not actually know what I was getting into when I agreed, <laughs> agreed to this whole thing. So not only Mo is actually from the Middle East. And so his parents live in Cairo. So the first hurdle that we had to jump was through immigration and dealing with all of that. The second hurdle was pilot being, being in aviation. Um, I very naively when we got married thought because he was finishing up his hours and all that flying pipeline. So he was home pretty much every night. There were a few nights where he wasn't not a big deal. I very naively thought that he would be home every night. And I did not know that he would be gone for like days at a time. So, um, so that was a very, very big hurdle. And our, our marriage honestly was not good the first couple of years. So, and he was like, no, I'm not doing coaching. I'm not doing counseling, I'm not doing therapy. So I knew it was up to me 
to save the marriage. And so I started going to counseling, found a coach, a life coach for myself. And that's how I got into coaching. Um, I just found a passion for it after, um, after I saved my marriage and I was a, I'm a former teacher. I taught kindergarten and I thought, you know what, this is a way better deal than teaching kindergarten. So here we are. I love that. Okay. So let me backtrack just a little bit. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about what you feel went wrong in your first marriage. So in my first marriage, um, so we were from a very small town, both of us. Uh, there's like 1500 people total, one stoplight kind of situation where everybody knows everybody. And if you drop, drop the F bomb, your mama knows about it before you hit the back porch kind of deal. So we dated, um, I was two years older than him. So we dated like my end of my high school and all through college. And there was a lot wrong there. Honestly, um, a lot of it was self-esteem issues for me. I didn't think that I could get any better and I didn't really date around. I was always the little sister in high school. So it was kind of like, okay, this guy likes me. So I better not screw it up because I might not get anybody else for him. He had a rough childhood that he never really came to terms with. And there were a lot of differences there. And then our premarital counseling consisted of us going to our preacher's office. She handed us both a booklet and she was like, okay, take this quiz and come back next week. And we went back next week and she was like, all right, looks good. See you at the altar. Uh, okay. Like there was no, there was no coaching there. There was no like, okay, both of you, you know, don't come from great, you know, examples of what marriage is. So here's how you navigate that. Here's how you navigate expectations and finances and intimacy and sex. And because they are not the same thing. And like all these, like, I didn't know and he didn't know. So it was like, okay, his mom had been married or married and divorced like four or five times at that point. So it was like, okay, I guess we'll try this and see how it works kind of situation. And Needless to say, it didn't work out well. So, okay. So tell me how old were you when you got married? I was 23 and he was 21. Oh boy. And how long were you married? So we dated for six years, um, long distance. And that should have been a red flag because I, it was very one-sided. I traveled in college back home or to wherever he was living for college at the time. Every single weekend, there was never like, Looking back, it was very apparent that I was more interested in him than he was me kind of situation. So there were a lot of red flags that I should have paid attention to kind of situation. But um, yeah, so I knew that. And then when we got married, we were engaged about a year and then we were married uh, four days short of five years. So we were together 12 years total, basically. Yeah, so you definitely, you know, stuck it out. I mean, for sure. Yeah. So during that time, during that first marriage, did you do much personal work? Were you kind of in that? Yeah. So I started, um, I started, I kind of got, because, you know, you become like the top five people that you hang around with. So I started hanging around with these people because I knew nothing about money. And I was like the conversations around our dinner table growing up were like, okay, I'm overdrawn in this bank account. What, what account do I move it to? Like, what do I do? So I started like thinking, how can I better myself? What do I need to do? And it started with money because we were always broke. 
and when I was married. Um, so I started hanging around them and they were very into personal development. So I had started reading a few books and stuff like that, like started getting into like John C. Maxwell and um, just different, different authors like that. Andy Andrews, like stuff like that. And then, um, but he was, and he was kind of like, I mean, yeah, I listened to it on the radio, but I don't know that that was ever actually a thing kind of deal. And it was very much like I was growing and he wasn't. And so we, we did, we grew apart and eventually I didn't want to put all the effort into it anymore. So I left. So, okay. Did you go to therapy or counseling or anything? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I went by myself. He Mm -hmm. was also not on board. Um, he went to one couple's therapy session with me and was there about seven minutes and walked out. And so that was kind of the moment where I was like, okay, so this is how this is going to go. Red flag, right? Yeah. 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 So I knew at that point I was like, all right then. And then did you continue for yourself afterward Mm -hmm. as a healing process or anything along those lines? I did. So that whole year was kind of a big deal. Um, 2012 was when we got divorced and my best friend had died, um, in February of that year. And like we shared a birthday and everything. So that was really, really devastating. And the straw that broke the camel's back was that I ended up having to take our then two-year-old home with me and go to the funeral by myself and everything because he just didn't want to deal with it. That's he, I don't want to deal with that. I'm going to stay here and work. And so that was a four hour drive home was a lot of time to think and a lot of time to reflect. And so, um, I started going to therapy after that, but unfortunately what I found was that through the grieving process of my best friend, the grieving process of my marriage, like I knew it was, we were done all of that. I wasn't getting tools from like, it was great to go and talk to someone and get it all out. That felt awesome, but I didn't feel like I was leaving there with growth work. I didn't feel like I was, you know, getting tools to be like, okay, here's what you need to work on this week or, you know, for the next couple of weeks. And here's, you know, here's how you continue that process. And that's why I like coaching so much because you do get those tools. When you leave every session, you know what you're supposed to work on and you have that at your fingertips to be like, Oh, okay. So this is what I'm doing. And this is what I'm supposed to be doing for the next, however many days until we see Cameron again. Okay. So then fast forwarding, you've met your now husband. Mm -hmm. Um, What was different for you in terms of going into the relationship, the tools that you had to work with things. And then let's talk about that just even in the dating process. And then I want to move to the marriage because then you mentioned like the start of it wasn't so great. So, yeah. And and I love this because it's like tools are so important. They're everything, but we don't ever get like fixed, right? An ongoing process all the time. We, our mind goes crazy. Our thoughts go crazy. And it's, it's that constant balance of reining yourself back in becoming aware acknowledging it and then using those tools. So let's talk a little bit about that. What you, what you, the dating process with the tools that you now have, and then we'll go from there. 
Sure. So the dating process with Muhammad was completely different. Um, so going into the relationship, first of all, I was very like, so before I even met him, I actually made a list of everything that I wanted in a future spouse. I was a single mom for about five years. I did not bring anyone into my son's life that I was, I mean, I went on a couple of dates here and there, but I made this list first that had everything that I wanted in my future spouse clear down to like, I wanted him to be tall. I wanted him to have dark skin and a sexy accent. Like I was manifesting this sucker. Right. And, um, it's interesting how God works though, because in my mind, I've kind of thought like black and British, what God gave me was Arab. So, you know, we got, we got a little bit of a difference there, but it's okay. It worked out. So, um, that was the first thing I did. And then I highlighted my non-negotiables and like, if he did not have a good relationship with his mother, he had to go because how he treated his mom was how he was going to treat me. If he was not a family man, he had to go. Cause I had, you know, I had our son already, um, just different things like that, that were absolutely not, he had to go to church with me. If he, if that wasn't a thing, then he wasn't a thing. So these things, and then that was kind of like my first date checklist of if you didn't meet this criteria, I wasn't going to waste time with you. And then, so he met all the, the criteria and then, um, our very first date, he actually planned everything and like came and picked me up. He knew I liked Christmas lights. And so he took me to this park in Dallas where every tree is a different, different color of Christmas lights. I had never been there before. Um, I had never had Indian food before. So he took me to a place to try Indian food. So he was a lot of fun, but he also very much put forth a lot more effort than what my previous husband had. Um, so I knew he was interested and he, I mean, he still does that, you know, yesterday I was stressed and he was like, you know what, I'm going to book you a massage. You just be ready by three. And so, like, he still does that kind of stuff. So he set the bar pretty high, but the other things, um, the dating process, he was very much, so we were apart. We were long distance because he actually got stuck in Egypt. Um, the whole visa process was a mess. So for our first 18 months of dating, we were long distance. And for my birthday, he called and he was like, you know what, if I pay for you a trip over here, would you be willing to take off work? Would you be willing to leave the States? Would you be willing to meet my family? I was like, sure. So, but it's just stuff like that. Like he just puts a lot of effort into our relationship as well. Puts me first. He's a protector, a provider, like all these things that my previous husband wasn't. And he liked that I was really involved with self awareness and that I was really involved with self-improvement. And he's, he is that way as well. So, um, there were just a lot of commonalities, even though there are a lot of differences, there were a lot more commonalities in that dating process. And we, and the tools that we had, I was reading the whole time of like, what do I need to pay attention to? What do I, I mean, these are things that I was researching on my own of, okay, how do I do this? How do I find a husband that where the marriage is going to stick? So you know, expectations were a big thing of when he came back to the States because he didn't grow up here. So, you know, here's what I expect of you as a bonus dad to my son. 
Um, here's what I expect of you as a husband. Here's what, you know, here's what he expected of me as a wife, like all these different things. There were a lot of things that we compromised on. There were a lot of things that we were like, yeah, no, I'm not going to do that. So, you know, we had to, had to change or take out or add in or whatever. So it was a lot of communication. And I, I, two, two things that you hit on that I really, truly love. Um, and one is that the little things matter. My husband was the same way. Like he has, and I've been married 33 years. So he has shown me all the way through with little things like wake up in the morning, pack your bags. We're going on a trip. It's going to be cold. I've already arranged for everything. And then I'm from Durango, Colorado, which is a fun little touristy town. And my parents still not anymore, but they used to live outside of there. So we arranged for that and we went and had a fabulous little winter holiday. And then the last night he arranged for my parents to meet us at dinner. Like I walk into the restaurant and they're sitting there little things like that. Even still to this day, I'll talk about something just small little things. And then, you know, and then he shows up with it the next day, like he went to the store and got it. And it's so funny. It it is those little things that matter over time that, you know, build up and and create that connection. And like you said, intimacy and sex are two different things. They can be combined in the same thing, but they're also separate and it's important. And then also the differences I think differences keep things spicy. Mm -hmm. I don't want, I don't want to marry myself. You know, I don't want to spend all day. I spend all day with myself anyway. Right. I don't want to spend all day with myself twice. So I love that you bring out those two things. And I think it's important for people to really keep that in mind that differences don't necessarily mean, oh, that's a red flag unless those differences are so strong and there's not a willingness to figure out how can we make these a great part of our relationship. So I love those two, those two key pieces. Yeah. So the little things are definitely the big things in, in a relationship, especially over time, because it's the habits. So when couples come to me, the first thing out of their mouth is, I don't know how we got here. Well, how you got there is the little decisions that you made every day that you let slip under the rug or you, you know, you just passed them by and didn't really change them in that, in that moment to make the big things later on. So the little things do, you know, make up the big things. The second thing is those differences. Yeah. So um, statistically, just as human beings, we try to change our partners into who we are over time. So you don't fold the towels right. You don't load the dishwasher right. You don't. So we criticize and nitpick our spouse. But at the end of the day, like what would happen if we just loved them for who they are and loved them for their differences? So, you know, my husband likes Arabic music. I grew up on country. Like we have very different, you know, different music tastes. That's fine. You know, we both, we tolerate it or we, you know, we, I like some of it. So, um, food choices, completely different, um, TV shows are usually pretty different. Like there's just different things like that. And it's just, I love him for his differences. I don't try to change those because that was why I fell in love with him in the first place. Yeah, it's funny. You talk about, uh, you know, human nature being being about trying to change other people. Wait till you have adult children. If you want to really figure out how challenging it can be to um, rein your own self in and not try to be like, well, that's not how you grew up. Well, that's not how, because mine are 26 and 29 now. So it's like, okay, duct tape mouth. Mm -hmm. Nobody's looking for your opinion. I always try to remind myself, I didn't want my mom's opinion either. My grown kids don't want mine. (laughs) 
it's interesting. We are, we have a 12 year old. And so I can see little pieces of that coming out of who he really is and me being like, what? But you know, you just, it's that emotional intelligence of like, okay, tell me more about that. What, what, what do you interest, what would interest you about that? So yeah, okay, so now let's get into let's get into your first year of marriage yeah. and what kind of went off the rails a little bit to begin with. Yeah. So, you know, you think that you have everything figured out, especially when you're in a long distance relationship. You've communicated about all these things, you've text messaged about every topic under the sun, you feel like. And then you're thrown into the marriage where you're actually living together. You, you know, and so then certain certain circumstances come up where you're like, oh. I didn't think about that kind of situation and thinking about it. Like, well, how would you handle this situation when you're apart versus when you're together? Very different. So how you actually handle it in real life, very different than a hypothetical. So, um, that there was that I also lost my job. Um, when he came back, I, my adrenals had almost shut down from all the stress that I was under and with everything, my job was awful, hated it. Um, money was really tight and then I lost my job. So he came back thinking I was going to be making almost a hundred thousand dollars a year by myself. He was just going to finish school. We were going to get married. We were going to buy a house right away. So expectations just went to crap, like almost in an instant. So he was home two months. I lost that job. And then finances came in. Like he grew up. That was where differences really came into play because he grew up where they don't have debt. They don't have credit cards. They don't have taxes. Um, They don't have a credit score. Like they don't have any of that. So, and his family, I mean, if you need money, you just borrow three or 400 bucks from your cousin. And then you don't even have to worry about paying it back. That's not a thing here in the States. Right. Um, his parents are very well off. If he needed a hundred dollars growing up, he just went and took it out of his dad's wallet. Um, if I would have done that, my dad probably would have dropped my hand off or something. Like he would have lost his mind. Um, so there were a lot of differences there. So he had never went without, he had never been tight on money. And when I lost my job, now we were like, well, living on beans and rice kind of situation. He didn't expect that. Um, adjusting. So when he lived here before he was also living with a bunch of friends that were also getting their pilot's license. So they still ate Yemeni food. They still, you know, they, they didn't have a TV. So they still did a lot of the things that they did back home because there was no, nobody from America telling them different. Right. Mm -hmm. So when he moved in with me, now he's all of a sudden a dad He's all of a sudden a husband. Um, He did not date around like he did not date before we started dating. So I was his first relationship. Um, There were just so many things that were huge that he was like, I don't I don't know how to navigate this. I don't know what to do in this situation. And he can't call his family for advice because they live a completely different culture than we do. He can't call my family for advice because he didn't know them well enough to have that connection and that relationship. Now he calls my brother for everything. But before that, he was like, I I don't know what to do. So he felt very alone and just adjusting to all of that was really, really hard. 
So, and I had gotten used to doing everything on my own, which mm-hmm. that still goes into pilot wife life because he comes home and he's like, well, why do you do it this way? And I'm like, I don't, I just do it. Like this is, you're never here. So gotta handle you know, the stuff. Yeah. I just handle it. Yeah. So it was, it was a lot of that, that kind of stuff, cultural differences and just adjustment, honestly. So how did you get course corrected to use pilot speak? Um, yeah, so that was when I started going, I went to, um, the church and I said, I need, I need counseling. I need help. My husband is not on board. I need somebody to talk to. I need tools. I need something. What do I do? And so that's what I got, um, with a really good therapist and she kind of helped me with the tools. And also that's where I found my life coach. And I was like, I'm, I'm depressed. I don't have, you know, this is not how I saw my life going. I really thought that this marriage would be different. And that's when she started giving me tools. And I really just dove headfirst in and never looked back of trying to better myself. And that's over time. He, he came along and I, I asked him about a month or so ago, I said, what, what made you change? And he goes, you know, honestly, Cam, he goes, I saw you changing and I saw how much work you were putting into yourself. And he goes, I really felt bad because I wasn't putting that effort into me. And that's why that's when I started putting effort into myself and changing too. You know, I love that because it's, it's such a key part of it that we, I hear this all the time. Um, and that, you know, he won't put the effort in, he won't go to therapy. He won't watch this. He won't listen this to this. He won't read this. He won't do that. And it really is true that you can shift things. I just did. Um, I just did a show talking about when you, when you use the words, how do I get him to do mm-hmm. this? It's like, Oh, well, let's back up there. I don't want to be gotten to do anything. Yeah. Nobody does that immediately makes you dig your heels in and create resistance. So the thing really that's so key is to go to work on yourself. And we have this tendency to think, well, it has to be a mutual thing. It has to be a 50, 50. It's not going to do any good if they're not doing the work either. But the reality of it is all you're, you are really all you have in a sense, right? You come into this life alone, you go out of this life alone. You know what I mean? But ultimately the work that you do on yourself is always priceless because assuming that the marriage sticks and you, and you, you know, find that, that relief and you, you begin to partner together and and work together to make it work. That's a bonus. And if the marriage doesn't last, it's still a bonus because you take all that work that you've done on yourself away and you are now a better person, better equipped with better tools to go into the next relationship. So anybody thinking, well, this is never going to work because he's not meeting me halfway. Just like you said, do the work yourself first. And in most cases, not every, I know there's exceptions all the time, but in most cases, they do begin to notice subconsciously it begins to create a shift for them and they want to play along too. Like they love you. They came into this marriage too. They're committed as well. And it really does shift things. So it's so amazing. You know, you, you hit on two things there. So as human beings, we want things to be fair, but in real, but in reality, we're not thinking fair. We're thinking equal. Equal is not fair. And that's the first thing that we have to realize. Equal is getting the exact same thing. Fair is getting what you need to be successful in that situation. 
you, you know, like I have a peanut allergy. I need more attention taken, you know, in, in what I eat. You may, you know, have a limp and you have to walk with a cane. You, you like everybody has something that they need that makes it fair. Nowhere, not in the Bible, not in any marriage book ever written, does it say that marriage is equal. So there are days where I have to give, you know, a hundred percent because my husband is only giving 20. There are days where I'm only at 80 and he has to give, you know, that extra, like we all have to give extra, you know, effort, or there are days when he comes home and he's exhausted. So did I plan to take the kids that day? No, but that's, what's going to have to happen because that's what he needs. And it's meeting each other halfway in the sense of meeting each other's needs, but it's not, it's not ever going to be equal. And that's the first thing that we have to, we have to just completely get rid of. The second thing is it's the whole, like, it's easier to blame other people than it is to take responsibility for our own stuff. So the minute you start looking at like, okay, what was my responsibility in this whole argument? What did I do that could have been done better? We want to blame the other one and be like, well, he lost his temper. Well, he didn't take out the trash. Um, one of the things that I really promote in coaching is a we mentality. We forgot to take out the trash because it just hits different. Do you know in the back of the mind of your mind that like the expectation is that that's his job? Yes. But if you say you forgot to take out the trash, it comes off as critical and it, it like they're automatically going to put a wall up and get defensive. But if you say, hey, we forgot to take out the trash today. Oh, dang it. Yeah. Sorry about that. Uh, that was on me. It just, it just hits different. So it's just little tweaks like that, that make a huge difference in your marriage. Yeah, definitely. Good stuff. All right. So let's, let's dive into, um, some of the myths about marriage, uh, that you and I had chatted about before. So myth number one that you have mentioned is your partner will automatically know what to say and do talk a little bit about that. I hear way more than I want to. Well, they should just know. They should just know because we've been married for X amount of time. They should just know what I want, what I want. They don't know what you want because you're not communicating that. Even if you know that they're, again, with the trash, their job is to take the trash out on Thursdays. If you don't say, hey, if you don't like, like, just give a friendly reminder. Everybody is so overfilled with everything going through their head. A friendly reminder goes a long way. If your birthday is coming up and you want a specific gift, there is nothing wrong with sending them a list. My husband and I do this. We send a list to each other and be like, here are the things that I want with pictures, with Amazon numbers, with everything. And then you pick from this list. It makes your life a lot easier. And I actually like what I'm getting. I don't know exactly what I'm getting because I gave a list, right? So it's like that communication piece is huge. We don't, nobody's a mind reader. So you have to communicate even, even if you think that they should just know. So, yeah, yeah, that's definitely a myth. Um, and so the next one is navigating your differences, which I think we hit on a little bit, but what yeah. more do you want to share on that? You know, it comes down to, again, to communication because sometimes our differences are in our childhood with the way that we were raised and God love our parents, but 
self-improvement was not a big thing when our parents were raising us. So they primarily raised us the way that their parents raised them. That's just the way that it is, right? So in order to change that, we have to look at what they did, take what we like from it, you know, get rid of what we don't, compromise on others, whatever. With differences, you have to look at them and say like, okay, is this a problem that we have to fix? Or is this just something like not everything has a solution? Not everything has to be fixed. It is very, it's a very unpopular opinion that you can just accept things that the way they are and move on. You don't have to have an opinion about it. You don't have to say anything about it. You don't have to even feel a certain way about it. Like it just is what it is. Um, with differences, there's a lot of like, we were, I didn't know this until about a year ago, my husband and I actually had a a conversation and this is the thing too. I don't think spouses communicate as much as what they used to, because we have little devices in our hands all the time. And so we're put the phone down and actually talk. Do you like what I make for dinner? Would you prefer that I have other things? My husband and I had this conversation. I found out he actually would like me to learn how to make Yemeni food because that's where he's from. And we don't ever have that kind of stuff. So when we went back to Egypt this summer, I spent a lot of time with his mother in the kitchen trying to figure out how she makes the dishes that she makes so that I can, you know, make him feel more at home here. So it's just little things like that. Again, the little things are the big things. I was just going to say, it comes back to the little things that just even making the effort, does it have to be perfect? No. Does it have to taste just like his mom's? No. And he better not say that, but he doesn't, uh, but I know he knows little things. Yeah. It's the effort. It is. Effort's huge. Yeah. And it takes, he and I were actually having this conversation last night at dinner. Effort, like you're never going to get your marriage to be perfect ever. Like you're, it's takes constant, continuous effort every single day, every single day you have to roll over and wake up and choose your spouse again. Every day you have to mentally consciously say, I'm going to stay married for another day. I'm going to make this work. Oh, my wife's mad at me. Why is my, my wife mad at me? Did I do something? What does, you know, are her basic needs not being met? Am I not meeting a different need? Like what needs to happen here? And just constantly problem solving together as a team. So that's, and that's what differences are too. You're just problem solving. What, is this an actual problem or can this just be, you know, acknowledged and move on? Yeah. That's what life is. It's all about solving problems. It's all about piloting too, right? Yep. Okay. So number three, happy couples don't argue. I didn't get that memo. Yeah. That's, (laughs) there's so many things. And especially in my first marriage, that was what I thought. I thought, oh my gosh, like the most successful couples don't have arguments. That is so wrong. Every couple argues. I argue with my husband. Every couple argues. Now, how you argue is the kicker there. So if you're throwing things, if you're cussing at each other, if you're screaming and yelling and the neighbors are calling the cops, like this is a problem. That's where emotional intelligence comes in and learning to manage your emotions. Notice I didn't say managing your partner's emotions. You manage your emotions, you self-regulate and learn better habits for your own fight style 
and then things get better. And you can have productive arguments that, again, come to a solution or you say, okay, this is not something that's solvable. We just have to have a difference of opinion on this and we move on. Yeah, I love that. All right. Those are four great myths that we covered. Um, any, any final thoughts to share just in terms of, of, you know, maybe your best piece of advice for anyone out there who's struggling or who's, um, oh wait, no, I'm sorry. We didn't cover number four. I'm sorry. Back up. We only got to number three. Number four is so important. So ah, shame on me. And that is being married a long time means a boring sex life. That's a big myth. That is a big myth. That is a huge myth. Um, additionally to that, I would like to add that if it is a myth that if you have any kind of like, if you're suffering from ED or anything like that, that it just means that your sex life is terrible. That is absolutely not true. Um, being married for a long time, that's where that intimacy comes in and emotional. So as we're, as we grow up, we think that, you know, like women, are just turned on at the drop of the hat where nobody actually thinks about this, but growing up, men are cool. If they have a lot of partners, women are chastised if they have a lot of partners. So for men, it's like, Oh no, don't tell her you love her unless you really mean it. Like that's not cool. Women. It's like, did he tell you that he loves you? Because if he didn't, you better not be sleeping with him. So we're taught, we're conditioned from a very like teenage years that Men need sex before emotions, whereas women need emotions before sex. So for women, it's very emotional. It's like you have to get us out of our heads kind of situation. So when you can do that, when women have that trust, men have the respect, that's when women feel loved and cherished, that's when you really build a good sex life. And it does not have to be boring. That's when you can have those vulnerable conversations of like, I'm not getting anything out of this. Could you do this instead? I really like it when I don't like it when, and you can really have those conversations and that's what spices it up. Hey, I I would like to try this. And also there's a lot of really good information out on the internet, but just like relationship coaching, like there's sex coaches too. So don't be afraid to reach out and get help there's a, there's a lot of stigma around getting help, whether it be for mental health, sex, your relationship, I mean, anything. So we need to normalize getting help when you don't know, because you only know what you know. So finding an expert in that field, following them on Instagram, following their content, don't be afraid to learn new things and try new things. If it works out, awesome. If it doesn't, okay, at least you tried it again, goes back to that effort. So yeah, it doesn't, yeah, it's, boring. it's so true. And it, it's interesting too, just from the, the aviation and the pilot lifestyle perspective, there tends to be this, another myth regarding sex is that, oh my gosh, they've been gone for three days or four days or whatever. They should walk in the door, you know, ready to have sex. And the reality of it is sometimes they walk in the door exhausted, yeah, stressed, hungry, 
hangry, stressed. I mean, so many different things. And I know that's something I had to learn to navigate too. thinking, oh my gosh, is there something wrong with me? And unfortunately, especially back then, I did not have good communication tools. I was, you know, and kind of like what you said, especially as women were programmed, um, we're programmed in so many crazy things that are so conflicting about sex and our bodies and what men want and how we should be and good girl, bad girl. I mean, we could do a whole yeah. show on that, but all that to say, you know, I had to really learn those good communication skills too, that, that overcame some of that and, and separated sex and intimacy and just the bodily, the, the reality of your body being tired, you know? Yeah. So I think that's a, a, a lot of it too. And, and now today with so much social media, I mean, it's been out there in marketing forever, even before the internet with men's health magazine and all this, like, you know, how long should an erection last or how long should, you know, I mean, just so yeah. many different things that are such a myth. And, and I know men do this too, having talked to a lot of them that, you know, we hold this up as a standard. And for some reason, if we're not meeting that, then there's something wrong with us yep. and our partner's not going to be happy or satisfied. Whereas if we could just communicate and kind of laugh a little bit about it and be lighthearted and realize, Hey, we're both kind of struggling with the same thing. We don't, we don't know how to talk about it because yeah. we haven't been you know, conditioned to talk about it. What a game changer that is. Because you're taught that it's dirty. You're taught yeah. that like, you know, masturbation is dirty and, you know, having sex is dirty. Like it's, that's not okay. That's not, that's forbidden. You don't do that. Right. So everything, you know, like there's, yeah, there's so much conditioning, so much conditioning. And I think too, it comes down to basic needs. And this is another thing that people don't realize is that Maslow's hierarchy of needs. So the bottom rung sleep, which is a huge one, water, food, sex, shelter. Like, do you have your basic needs met? A lot of us as adults, especially right here after the pandemic and everything, we don't. Stress is a big part of that, that basic need too. If your basic needs are not met, you cannot have an intense conversation about budgeting or disciplining the kids or your sex life or, you know, anything like that. You you're on survival mode. You're not on thrive mode where you, where that would be where you want sex. So, you know, when your husband comes home and he's just got off a four day flight, especially if, you know, there were a couple of red eyes in there or like a longer stick, like whatever, you know, bad weather layover. There's so many different scenarios. Their basic needs are not being met. So that's why they're not wanting sex as soon as they walk in the door. Yes, they might miss you, but they might need a meal, a nap, a shower, and, you know, just maybe like a little bit of downtime where they just sit and do nothing. The other thing is men legitimately can sit for 10 minutes and not have a thought go through their head. Women <laughs> cannot. So just cause your husband's sitting there thinking like nothing and you have your mind, the narrative in our mind is what, what kicks us in the face with a golf shoe nine times out of 10. And it's not always reality. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, that, that is, that is such good stuff. And, and, you know, men and especially pilots tend to compartmentalize. Oh yeah. Um, and I say, especially pilots. And again, I don't want to stereotype and not everyone, but they have to, because they have to be able to think on their feet, think in the seat, 
you know, have everything kick in when it needs to in case of an emergency or this or that or everything. And the reality of it is they don't come home or even on the road, communicate to us every single thing that happened, every, you know, the time that they had to go back and deal with the unruly passenger or, um, you know, when they had, they had the whole flight loaded and then there was a mechanical and then they had to unload everybody. And then they had to go clear across the terminal and change airplanes. There's so many things that go on. And a lot of that goes on. That's just part of their job and they deal with it and it's every day, but they don't come home and tell us all about it all the time. Some do, but a lot of them don't. Cause it's just like, okay, once they park the airplane at the gate, they do get to leave their job behind, which is a nice thing, but they don't always share all the details. So we're sitting there thinking this, that, and the other thing, making all this stuff up in our mind. And the reality of it is it's something totally different. It has nothing to do with us. So I think all of that is such important. And that's again, where the, where communication is. And you know, for me, I don't know if you follow the Enneagram at all, but I do. Yes. I'm a C, my husband's Huge. a fuck. I mean, I, I, you know, for the longest time, I wanted to chase him into his cave and make him come out and talk to me. No, he's the one that needs that downtime totally, you know? And so I learned to give him that space and not be like, okay, here I am. Pay attention to me. I've missed you. You've been gone. That was never going to work for both of us. And so I just learned to realize, get his needs met first And then mine will well be met when that's taken care of. I love that you mentioned the Enneagram. I'm a two and my husband is the seven to seven you'll ever meet in your life. Ah. So I'm, I, I'm a two wing one, but that's, that's one of the things that we had to go through too. That was those differences of learning, like, okay, he is not me. He does not need to be needed. And I am not going to go on roller coasters. I am, I do not, I'm not an adrenaline junkie at all. I'm like a safety junkie that will hold all of your things and take the pictures and clap for you when you're done. But don't you dare ask me to get on that sucker. So like that's, that was us and having that goes into spousal awareness, which is that emotional intelligence thing and understanding your partner, understanding my husband is not a communicator. I am an all the details person and he is hit the high points. And if I had a dime for how many times he said, Oh, I thought I communicated that to you. Um, we would be living in a mansion right now because, like, uh, no, sir, you did not communicate that to me at all. In fact, so that's so like, it's just one of those that things. A, that's such a thing with the five, which my husband is, is that they're such deep thinkers. They think all this through and in their mind, they've communicated it. And I've said the same thing so many times. He'll be like, well, I told you. And I'm like, no, you and didn't. You. You, you did not have that conversation in your, mind, in your mind. You told me a million times, but yes. in reality, you didn't. It's so funny. And once I realized that it really did change because I stopped being frustrated. I just started yes. accepting. It's like you said, I accepted Love them for who they are. I accepted him for who he was and just yep. realized, all right, I'm going to choose to let that roll off my back because he is how he is. Yep. So, and by the way, I've done an episode for those of you listening. If you haven't listened to the Enneagram episode, I believe it's episode 11. I'll put that in the show notes, but I had an expert on, on the Enneagram and we just dive into that and I have a handout. So, you know, people can go through that. So I use the Enneagram and coaching. Like I do that too. part of I do too. we, yeah, we do a lot with our spouse and getting to know our spouse as well as getting to know ourselves. Why do we do the things that we do? Because it makes such a difference in knowing what we need and communicating that and, you know, all of that. So we do a lot on love languages, basic mm-hmm. needs, Enneagram, all of that. It's really important. 
And it's so funny because a lot of those, not the Enneagram so much, but love language, a lot of that's been bannered around for a long time, but you know what? It is so solid. And in a way it's so simple. Mm-hmm. It's so and people simple. still don't know about it though. Like right. you say love languages and they're like, what? Yeah. Like, what? What is that? Right. So yeah. it's, it's huge. Makes a big difference in your marriage for sure. Yeah. All right. So gosh, we've covered some great, great ground. Yeah. I've loved this. Cameron, give us some final thoughts. And then tell us how um, we can learn more about you. Yeah. So um, final thoughts, I would say if you are struggling again, just normalize that reaching out. And if your partner is absolutely like, yeah, no, I'm not doing any of that. Get help for yourself. Um, I have two courses that are specifically for the individual. Um, You don't have to have your partner on board. There's so much you can do to save your marriage or to better your marriage on your own. So definitely do that to find me. So my website is www.recognizingpotential.com. Um, my courses, yes, my courses are listed on there. I, um, only put the courses that are available at that moment. So I run group courses every month. So whatever group course is coming up would be on there. So check back frequently. Um, always feel free to email me if you have questions or if you, um, have, have, you know, a need for something, then I can help you figure out the the course that would be better for you there. That's coaching at recognizingpotential.com. You can find me on Instagram at divorce.proof.marriage. And then I have a Facebook coaching group that, um, you can also just search recognizing potential and it'll come up. So Awesome. Lots of, lots of good free content there. Well, Cameron, thanks again. I appreciate it. I know this is going to be so valuable to anyone listening, but certainly to our pilot wife community and hopefully some of the pilots may, because we have a number who listen in as well as um, anyone in aviation, because it is a unique lifestyle. Um, There's some, there are some differences, but at the end of the day, we're all humans. And I think that communication piece and staying connected and all of that it doesn't change regardless. So thanks yes, again thank for being on the show. Thank you for having me. And we want to make sure that the aviation community marks their calendars for February 17th and 18th for the aviation summit. So that you're a part of too. So, um, yeah, so that's going to be really good. Um, Jamie Anderson and I are putting that on. And so the first day is going to be all about mental health relationships Um, just therapy, all the different things that are related to our health. Nutritionists are going to talk like there's so many, we have like a dozen speakers so far. And then the next day is talking about wills and power of attorney, um, getting information on like from a realtor on relocating and all of that. Like there's so many resources for the second day that are coming too. So that's going to be really good. And it's completely free. So we're really excited about that too. I love it. Good stuff. And again, it'll be in the show notes. Yes. All right. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So hopefully you got some value there. I know that you did. If you'd like some more information about coaching with me, you can go to coach.pilotwifepodcast.com. Fill out the form. Let's have a conversation. Let me share a little bit with you about how I coach, what my topics are and how that fits into um, creating that life and balance in your fabulous aviation lifestyle and really setting yourself up 
for success. So until next time, I will see you on the next show. And if you have an idea for topics or you want to be on the show, listen up because that's what's next. If you like what you're hearing on the show, grab the Pilot Wife Checklist at pilotwifechecklist.com. And if you have a topic suggestion or a story to share on the show, go to ask.pilotwifepodcast.com. Share the show with any pilot wives, military wives, or anyone in aviation you know who might share and benefit from this similar experience. I'll see you on the journey.